How many of you have ever received advice from a stranger? Unasked, unsolicited, unexpected. A couple of nods. Hasn't happened to me too often, but the times that it has, it has really made an impression on me. Two years ago, I was on the shores of Virginia Beach. I was standing right next to that really, really tall statue of Neptune, except this was not a warm, sunny summer day at the beach. It's 30, 34 degrees out, and it was windy, windy somewhere between 20 and 26 mile per hour winds coming in from the ocean. And on top of this, it was raining, that type of rain that was constant, steady, and like coming in sideways at you. It felt like it was 25 degrees out and it was seven in the morning and I was standing outside only after a minute soaking wet. I wasn't at the beach to just hang out. I was standing there ready to run my very first marathon. And I was a little nervous. I got to the start line ahead of time and I looked for someone who knew what, who looked like they knew what they were doing. I said, hey, is this the wave where I'm supposed to line up? This guy looked at me and said, yeah, it is. Is, is this your first marathon? And kind of embarrassed that I looked like such a newbie, but not really caring because I was too pumped. I said, yeah, it's my first. How about you? He's like, no, I've ran a bunch. He goes, let me give you a piece of advice. And that's where things got serious and things got heavy. He looked at me. He said, let me give you one piece of advice. If at any point during this race, you think to yourself, man, I'm feeling good. Things are going well. Just know this. Pretty soon you will not feel good and things will not be going well. I said, gee, thanks, mister. I said, thanks for the pep talk. What, before like the biggest race of my life that I've ever ran, this dude looks at me and he says, don't worry about it. No matter what, inevitably, something's going to go wrong. But you know what? His advice was solid. And his advice wasn't really anything different than what experienced runners had written about and I read and experienced runners had told me over and over again about races. You got to be prepared. You got to be mentally prepared for any challenges that arise. If you're out there and you're just running along thinking to yourself, man, this is great, I'm doing well, well, you make mistakes. You won't believe how many runners just relaxing out there running, don't pay attention to the course, and run off course. You wouldn't believe how many runners think they're feeling good, I don't need to stop at this water station, all of a sudden find out they're dehydrated before they even reach the next water station. You're more prone to injury when you lose focus about what you're doing. And ultimately, if you lose focus, more focused runners are going to beat you. And the race that was going so well, well, it'll be lost. And you know what? That guy's advice wasn't too different than some advice that God's word gives us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the apostle Paul says this. He says, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. I love the way the message translation of the Bible takes this phrase. The message translation is a translation of the Bible that's good and accurate, but it kind of summarizes and puts in uh, to everyday vernacular what the passage says. It puts it this way. It says, don't be so naive. Don't be so self-confident. You are not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. In other words, you want some sobering spiritual advice? 
for your race of faith? If at any point during this life, at any point during this journey of faith that you're on, you think you're feeling good, you think you're feeling self-confident, self-righteous, don't fool yourself. Very soon, something could go wrong. You will encounter a temptation to sin. It's inevitable. It'll happen. That's why I love this prayer. That's why I love the Lord's Prayer. Because it's very, very real about the race that we're on. The prayer that starts off praying about keeping God's name holy, about his kingdom coming, his will being done, giving us today our daily bread, ends with three lines that are all about sin. Last week, we talked about sins that we need to ask forgiveness for. We prayed that God help us forgive in the same way that we have been forgiven. And this week, we look at this prayer. Lord, don't even get us to the point of sin. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I suppose it brings up also a fair question. Why is it inevitable that we will sin, that we'll face temptation, that we'll face challenges? Because after all, didn't Jesus ride into Jerusalem? Isn't that what we celebrate today? Isn't that what we're going to celebrate Next weekend, spoiler alert, Jesus wins. Didn't he conquer sin, death, and the devil? Can't we say with Paul in the book of Romans that I'm convinced neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation, no, in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us? Why do we pray, Lord, don't lead us into temptation? Didn't he beat temptation? Jesus himself said, listen, I have the ones that I love, they shall never perish. No one will snatch me from them hands. Why do we pray, Lord, don't let me sin? Or is there something even darker going on here? Is God, who's in control of everything in the world, tempting us to sin, tempting us with evil and trying to test us? Well, let me answer those questions very, very clearly because scripture answers them very clearly. James chapter 1 says, listen, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. And yet, why is it inevitable that we face temptations? Well, here's why. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and entice. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. What a picture of temptation. An ugly, hideous child that's conceived, birthed as sin, and grows to be death. That's why Jesus gives this this prayer. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. That's why the Lord gives us this passage, which we read earlier. Throw off. Get rid of the things that hinder you, the sin that entangles you. What are the things that hinder and entangle us? Well, over the course of centuries, Christians have summarized those things that hinder us, those things that entangle us as the unholy trinity. The first person of the unholy trinity is Satan, the devil himself. 
What does scripture say about him? He's a, he's a roaring lion. He's looking for someone to devour. Jesus calls him a murderer from the beginning, someone who only speaks lies. And when he lies, he speaks his native language because that's all he can do. That's what Satan's job is, to lie to you. Lie to you to get you away from Christ and devour you, not just in this life, but eternally. There's the devil and there's the world, the sinful world. There's everything in this fallen, broken world that tempts us. It's not just a coincidence. It's not just an annoyance when pain and suffering take our eyes off of Jesus. It's not just a a coincidence when people who do not love God tempt you to join them. That's the broken, sinful world. How many of you have ever heard of the Halo Trust before? It's a nonprofit organization based out of the United Kingdom, and Princess Diana uh, supported it, really helped it grow in popularity. But their mission is very, very simple. Their mission is getting mines out of the ground now. What they do across the world in developing countries that have seen war is that the Halo Trust goes in and detonates uh, landmines, mines that would have otherwise harmed children on their way to school, men and women on their way to work. They go in and over the past 30 years, they've gotten rid of one and a half million mines that were just in people's villages and towns. That's their mission, getting rid of mines now. In the same way, God gives us that mission. And in almost different wording, he, he says the same mission. He goes, let go, get rid of anything that hinders, anything that entangles now. Get rid of the spiritual landmines, the devil, the world that is going to implode on you, that's going to ruin the race of faith that you're on. But you want to know something? The devil, the sinful world, they're not going to cause a problem for most of you. For most of you Christians here today, Satan is not your number one enemy. The world is not enemy number one. Satan doesn't work like this. Satan isn't omnipresent. Jesus is omnipresent. We don't all have Satan sitting on our shoulder, tempting us, trying to get us to do evil. When I walk out of here, it's not like Satan is going to be standing pitchfork in hand next to the candy bar and saying, man, you should really take a Reese's peanut butter cup. And then when I do, and he takes one, he goes, good, now let's go rob a bank. Now that's not how Satan works. In the same way, the sinful world is not a problem for most Christians. In fact, it's pain, suffering, evil people, those things don't normally capture Christian people. What do they do? They point them to Jesus. They bring them closer to God. Likewise, if if there was an ax murderer by your car on the way out of here and says, hey, would you be my accomplice in a murder? Most of you aren't going to say, oh, I'm tempted. Yes. Driving home, if you see someone on the corner dealing drugs or being a prostitute, most of you aren't going to go, oh, temptation. That's not how it works. But you know what is going to be a problem? You know what is enemy number one? It's the third part, the third person of the unholy trinity, if you will. It's you. It's your own sinful flesh. It's our sinful nature. 
that runs from God, that runs from what his will, from what his word says to do. Stop blaming the devil. Oh, the devil made me do it. Stop blaming the world. Oh, if there wasn't such terrible people around. No, the prayer that Jesus gave us is, Lord, lead me, lead us not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. The prayer isn't, Lord, stop wrecking me over. Stop drawing me into temptation. It's not, Lord, get rid of Satan and have him stop badgering me. It's not, Lord, get rid of the sinful world and all those obnoxious people. Lord, it's deliver me from evil. The prayer we pray is essentially this, Lord, save me from me. The advice that runner gave me, if at any point you think this is going well, just remember, eventually it won't. You want to know what it was? It wasn't the 20 mile per 20 mile per hour winds. It wasn't the rain. It wasn't the temperatures. It wasn't the sand that blew off the beach into my eyes. It wasn't the fact that another runner stepped on my shoe. You know what it was? It was at mile 18, I was feeling pretty good about myself and there was a slight incline and I saw a bunch of runners start slowing down and Matt thought to himself, you know what? This is the time where I'm gonna pass them all. And I started speeding up because things were going pretty good. And you know what happened right away? I cramped up. I cramped up so painfully that each step for the last seven miles felt the cramp. It came from within. And so it is with our spiritual race. The thing that's going to trip us up, the thing that's going to slow us down, it comes from within. So be real. Be real with yourself. Be real with your God. What is it? What is it for which you need to pray, Lord, save me from me? For a lot of you, it's grumbling. You've been blessed with family and friends. You've been blessed with a faith family and a job through which you receive an income that allows you to pay for food and home and clothes. And yet what happens? You go online and you see another man's wife or some mommy blogger's life and you grumble and you get jealous. You go to work on Monday morning and that job that has so richly blessed your life and your family, you complain about it. You see somebody that's thinner than you, that's more in shape than you, and you complain about it. For some of you, it's grumbling. For others, it's greed. For others still, it's glory. You come to church and you say, Lord, hallowed be your name. Holy be your name. And that's what's in your mouth. But what's in your heart throughout the week when you get the compliment for solving a problem at work, when you get the compliment for doing well at school, when you get recognized for your musical ability or your athletic talent or your intellect, then who, who gets the glory? I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's gossip with the girls. Maybe it's grudges. Maybe you come to church and you hear all about the forgiveness that we receive through Jesus Christ. You hear a sermon last week all about how we have forgiveness and we get to forgive out of that, but you think, no, not that, not that person. 
And so you take it and you lord it over them, the wrong that they do. When your kids are bad, you bully them with their bad thing and you let them know about their mistake. You take the hurt that an ex-spouse, a coworker had hurt you with years ago and you harbor it as hatred. I don't know, for some of you, maybe it's grudges. For others, maybe it's talking gross words with your friends when someone from church isn't around. But what is it in your life that is slowing up your race of faith? Or what is it that is cramping your run with your Savior right now? For what is it that you need to pray, Lord, save me from me. Save me from this temptation. What is it for which you need to shout, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the name of the Lord. Wait, Hosanna? I thought Hosanna was for praise, songs of praise, not prayers about temptation, right? Well, think again. Today we celebrate Palm Sunday. We celebrate the day on which Jesus rode a donkey into Jerusalem. And and while we see this glorious procession, well, this day isn't all what it seems. And you know that. You know that while he is riding in as a victorious king and people are shouting glory, loud and honor to his name, you know what's going to happen at the end of the week. You know the same crowd is going to shout, crucify him, crucify him. And they're going to crown him, but it's not going to be with a golden crown. It's with a crown of thorns. There's a lot of paradox and irony to what's taking place on this Palm Sunday, even in the words that the crowd is shouting. They're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Do you know what Hosanna means? Hosanna means save us. We pray, Lord, save us. That's what Hosanna means. Hosanna doesn't mean anything different than what we're praying here in the Lord's Prayer. Lord, deliver us from evil. Lord, don't lead me into temptation. Save me from me. And yet watch what's taking place. People are shouting Hosanna because they know they need salvation. They know they need a savior. And yet their Hosannas aren't with pessimism or defeatism. It's with exuberance. It's glad Hosannas being shouted. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So often we pray this Lord's Prayer, Lord, lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. And we talk about sin and temptation with defeatist, pessimistic attitudes because, right, we've lost. We've lost so often to sin and evil and given into temptation. But do you know why this crowd right here can pray that prayer? Hosanna, save me from me. Lord, lead me not into temptation with the same confidence and exuberance as that crowd on Palm Sunday? It's because the king rode in to do and accomplish exactly what he came to do. And that was to defeat sin, death, and the devil. They knew he could save, and we know it too. Listen, I get it. Running is not a fun thing for a lot of people. In fact, for most people, it's a painful thing. But can I tell you why what we see on Palm Sunday, the amazing grace of our God that we see on Sunday, 
illustrated by a running race is so perfect? Hebrews chapter 12 says this. It says this in the, in the first verse. It says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Listen, anyone who runs a race knows that you don't want to wear heavy things. You don't want to wear helmets and pads. No, you don't even want to wear heavy shoes when you run a race. You want to throw off everything that hinders. Do you know why we can do that as Christians? Do you know why it is that we're even able to run this race in the first place? It's because Jesus came and ran a much grueler race than a marathon or an ultramarathon. No, much further than that, he ran from heaven to earth into Jerusalem on a donkey and back out again with a cross and down into a grave only to burst forth at the finish line from an open grave and he did it for you. And meanwhile, as Jesus did this, he ran a race that we could not. Why? So that he could beat the sins that we had. Jesus beat sin for us when he ran to the cross for us. And now we get to run with him. We get to run with the levity and the freedom of knowing there's nothing in Christ that can entangle you. There's nothing in Christ that can hinder you. And like the Old Testament said, for those who hope in the Lord, they will renew their strength. They will soar on wing-legged seedles. They will run and not grow weary. Can you imagine running and never tiring? That is your race of faith. That is your race in Christ. Hebrews continues. It says this, let us run with perseverance, the rake marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Want to know one of my favorite things about running? It's knowing that there's a finish line. <laughs> you start a race knowing this is how far needs to be run. But could you imagine if you were a runner and you didn't know where the starting line was? Even worse, could you imagine being a runner and starting to run and not knowing if or where the finish line was? Well, there's no runner in the world that could run that kind of race. But that was us before Christ, running aimlessly away from God. And yet when he came, he was our starting line and he was our finish line and everything else in between. The writer to the Hebrews said that Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. The words they use there are these words, the beginning and the end, the alpha, the omega. What they're saying is Jesus is everything you need for this race of faith. He is the heart that pounds blood through your body. He is the muscles in your leg, the shoes on your feet. He is the motivation in your mind and the music in your heart that motivates you and carries you throughout this life. Listen, Christian friends, don't start this race. Don't be running this race thinking, man, it's nice that Jesus got me off the starting blocks only to try to finish by yourself. Don't start running and thinking you're running strong and it's you who's carrying you along the way. No, Jesus is the author and the perfecter, the beginning, the end, the starting line and the finish line and everything you need for this race. Here's the last thing. Jesus knew that no pain meant no gain. Hebrews said it this way. It said, for the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know what Jesus was thinking about? 
when he rode into Jerusalem? It wasn't about the shouts of glory. It wasn't about the shouts of king. It was about the cross. Jesus knew what lie ahead, and yet he did not ignore the cross. He didn't scorn the shame. He knew there would be shame. He knew there would be pain. But like any runner who runs a race knows there must be some kind of, un, some degree of uncomfortability suffered in order to win. Jesus ran knowing that for the joy set before him. You want to know what else was on his mind? It was you. It was the joy of being with you. It was the joy of winning the prize for which he died. You, having you as his own in eternity forever. Therefore, consider him. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider that. Think about it the opposition that he faced so you won't fall on your face. Think about how Jesus ran the race ahead of you and beat sin for you. Think about how he is your beginning, middle, and end. Think about how he took the pain so that you could have all the gain. Consider that. Consider that as you run your race. Think about that as your motivation for running your race. Listen, Jesus is more than a motivational coach or, or an encouragement in the stands. No, he is your Messiah. He is your Christ. But for a minute, just consider that. Consider all he has done for your motivation. And here's why I want you to consider that. It's because in this life, you're never going to see him answer the prayer we're talking about today. Think about it. You're never going to see Jesus answer that prayer, deliver us from evil, lead us not into temptation. Let me put it this way. How many of you like detours? No. Nobody enjoys a roadblock, a detour. This past week, I went to Monticello with my family, and on the way back, we drove through Gordonsville, and there's one way to get through Gordonsville. And just as we were about to make the turn on 20 and come home, Emergency vehicles, city workers came and set up a road close sign. I was mad. We waited there. And we waited and we waited and we got even more mad and more hungry because now we were late for dinner. But you know what I saw when they opened it up and led us through through a detour path? Well, that a electrical wire had fallen down across the road. Imagine. Imagine if we had just driven through there right over that power line. No one likes detours, but what if the person who put those detour signs up was actually doing something really, really good? And in this case, they were. Imagine if the things, the inconveniences, the detours we face in life were divine detours. Things that God put in your life because he did answer this prayer. Lord, don't lead me into temptation. Deliver me from evil. And he does. You don't get that job. You really wanted to get that job. But he knew there'd be temptation. 
there'd be temptation to work longer, work more, take time off from your family and take time away from your God. He knew that that boss would be burdensome. And so he led you away from there. You really wanted to get into that college, and, and, but now you're home. What if it was the Lord saying, you know what, I need you here with your faith family right now, hearing a message of encouragement, hearing a message of salvation for life. What if the Wi-Fi doesn't work? First world problems, right? But it was the Lord giving you a divine tea tour so you wouldn't have to see that. So you wouldn't be tempted and led into some kind of evil. What if the reason that your car didn't start, the reason why your son, your daughter left the book or the shoes at home and now you got to turn around was a divine detour because the Lord knew what was up ahead was not something that I wanted you to deal with. You know, in this life, we're never going to see with our own eyes the Lord's answer to this prayer. Deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation. But in his word, we get to see it. Because see, your king comes to you gentle, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the full of a donkey. And he comes as an answer to your prayers. He comes as an answer to your Hosanna. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He comes as an answer to your prayer of passion. Amen. Amen.